The Bible never said that just do whatever you feel, whatever feels compassionate because God is merciful. He didn't do any of those things. Instead, Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I define the rules and the boundaries between uh, compassion and religion. Well, today we're starting a new series as uh, we go back to uh, Luke's Gospel uh, with a series we're calling Through Jesus' Eyes. Uh, Often we find ourselves in situations where it's not until someone else comes along and helps us to see a problem or an issue from a completely different angle that we can finally make progress and see headway. Jesus' words had that kind of impact in people's lives. Uh, they, they were changed by him, and uh, they were stopped short often in how they were uh, pursuing their lives and uh, pursuing their God. And so t- today we're considering when religion threatens compassion, uh, we are looking at the words of uh, Jesus in Luke chapter 6 and trying to come to terms with how he helps us to hold uh, our uh, faith in a way that uh, we balance conviction and compassion. Now, there's something religious about, uh, about people, with whether God is involved or not. Uh, I read this week of a five-person crew in Brooklyn, a, a group that were uh, uh, responsible for dealing drugs. When they were actually arrested, they had 23,000 pills of oxycodone in their possession street value of about half a million dollars. Uh, They were also, uh, so in order to get these pills, they were were falsifying, they had stolen prescription sheets that they were using to to get them, and they were also uh, dealing heroin, cocaine, Uh, they were in possession of a sawed-off shotgun. This was a, a dangerous group of individuals. What was so fascinating about them, though, was this uh, dangerous group of drug dealers had very uh, particular rules about observing the Sabbath. They would actually text their drug customers that uh, we, are, we are shutting down our operations at 7.30 sharp on Friday. We will not open up until 8.15 p.m. on Saturdays. So if you need your drugs, you better get them quickly. And I, I'm just reading this story and I'm thinking, what is it about the character of humanity that that we, we operate like that. Like, what, what, if you were a sawed-off, shotgun-wielding drug dealer, who are you trying to impress by keeping diligent rules about the Sabbath? How, how does that work? What, what goes through your mind when you can hold those two things in tension? And yet, I think that there is a Sabbath-keeping drug dealer tendency in each of us that there is something about us that we want to hold on to a, a small set of rules that we are particularly good at keeping, and we can use those to excuse other behavior, to, uh, to hold on to a list that often keeps us from God, keeps us from obedience, and uh, keeps us from ultimately following him in the way that he ha- would have us to do. And so those are those... 
Uh, those are the issues that we find. I, I'm not look, reading this article and thinking, how on earth could you have a group of people like this? I'm thinking, how do we deal with this in our own hearts? Because I think it's in each of us. So the question I'm asking is, how do you avoid becoming a drug-dealing Sabbath keeper? How do you avoid becoming that kind of parent, that kind of person, that kind of spouse, that kind of leader? And those are the questions that today's passage answers for us in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Uh, so if you turn there with me now, we'll look at it together. The Black Church Bibles in the rack in front of you, just under the seat there, it's on page 809, Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to, tw- 1 to 11. Luke 6, verse 1, begins like this. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some great heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life, or to destroy it. And after looking around at them all, he said to, said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of God. Now Jesus confronts our Sabbath-keeping drug dealer tendencies in this passage And in doing so, he warns of three ways we can let religion threaten compassion. The first of those is this. Religion threatens compassion when your rules don't allow for mercy. When you get so accustomed to seeing people through your narrow list of rules that you don't see their needs, you don't see them as a person, you just see them as violating this list that you've got, and it keeps you from responding to them, to seeing them, and to looking at them uh, with mercy. So religion threatens compassion when your rules don't allow for mercy. Now as the scene opens, Jesus and his disciples are on the move. Uh, Verse 1 says, on a Sabbath while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Just a quick show of hands, how many people have eaten raw grain before? Yeah. So we've, we've got one of the group here. Um, uh, is, is it a favorite snack of yours, Oleg? Not, not anymore. <laughs> now, it's, it's, it's not a favorite snack of me. I, I, most people would prefer maybe a baguette, maybe a, at least a matzo. Like, you'd like some preparation. Um, raw heads of grain are what you eat when... You are on the run, you're hungry, and you don't have anything else to, to, to eat. Um, it's not your first go-to if you've got 
uh, a, a better uh, meal option available. And it's a reminder to us of just how often, uh, how physical Jesus' ministry really was. They were on the move, crowds often surrounding them, traveling from town to town, and often going without meals. And we are, uh, as we, we see them responding here, they have uh, come to a town to minister. And Middle Eastern hospitality in the day would dictate that if you have a weary traveler, you have a responsibility to care for them, to provide for them. Especially if it is a, uh, a famous rabbi who is coming to minister in your town, you would think the villagers, the people of the town, and particularly the, the uh, religious leaders of the town would be looking for Jesus, looking for his disciples, seeking to receive them, to serve them, to provide food for them. Instead, they lie in wait, seemingly uh, looking for Jesus, looking for an opportunity to catch him doing something wrong. They're waiting in the field to see if he will break one of their rules. And uh, that, that, that's really the, the, the background to our message. So in verse 2, they ask, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, to be clear here, Jesus and his disciples weren't uh, being accused of stealing. They weren't being accused of trespassing. Uh, there, was, there were provisions in Old Testament law for you to uh, go through someone else's field. There was nothing wrong with that. Uh, you could pick... Uh, uh, heads of grain, as long as you didn't use a, a tool or an implement. That's why it mentions that they're using their hands to pick them. Uh, so they were observing Old Testament law. But what they were being accused of was breaking the Sabbath. Now, Old Testament Sabbath rules said you couldn't work on, uh, from uh, fr Friday evening until Saturday evening. But that left some room for interpretation of just where the lines of work and not work uh, were. The Pharisees wanted to improve upon the Old Testament, though. And so what they did, they filled in the blanks. What the Old Testament had left latitude for, they filled in with very detailed prescriptions of what you could and couldn't do. And so there were long lists of rules that... Uh, regulated people's behavior. According to their lists, uh, they had, uh, the, the, the disciples here, they were guilty of reaping, winnowing, they were guilty of threshing and food preparation, all because they were so hungry they could chew bark off of a tree if that was what was available. They were just trying to have some little uh, ounce of, of uh, food for their day. This is our first step in becoming a Sabbath-keeping drug dealer. Here, you make your own set of rules, and you use those rules to judge other people, to, to, to evaluate them and to make pronouncements on, on them. You no longer see people. You don't see their needs. You don't see what's going on in their life. You're not really interested in what's happening in their life because you've got your list, and you are going to see how they measure up to that, and that's really all that uh, is figuring into your mind. And I wonder whether you see any of that in your own life. Your rules probably aren't about keeping a, 
uh, an Old Testament prescription about how to, how to maintain the Sabbath. And maybe your rules are about politics. Maybe you, you meet someone new and you're having a great conversation and things are going really well and they mention some politician that you're like, whoa, I didn't think you were into that. And all of a sudden, they've ticked the box for you of kind of uh, a list of violations that you just can't hear anything else that they're saying. Uh, maybe your rules are about uh, whether someone is, is conservative enough or progressive enough. Maybe your rules are about what they eat or don't eat or how they relate to the environment or your definition of manners or punctuality or, or whatever it might be. You have a list, and if they don't fit and measure up to your list, it's hard to see them, hard to hear them, hard to warm up to them or to view them with compassion. Jesus does what we all need to do when we find ourselves with a list like that. And that list is getting in the way of us seeing people. He takes us back to scripture. So in verse 3, he asks, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? I just love any story with Jesus when he asks religious authorities, have you not read the scripture? I just know that whatever is going to come out of his mouth next is going to be brilliant. I, I, I love these little dialogues. And as soon as he asks a question, it's like they're, they're on, their, on their back feet trying to figure out how to respond. He goes on to relate an event in David's life. It's an event where David was on the run. He, was, he and his companions, his uh, they weren't disciples, but they were followers of his, were being hunted by King Saul. He comes to uh, the place where the tabernacle uh, was, was, uh, was set up. He visits the priest there, a man by the name of Ahimelech. And as he goes to Ahimelech, he's, he's like, we're starving. We need something to eat. Uh, we have been on the run. And Ahimelech says, well, we don't, have any, we don't have any food. We don't have anything that we can give you except for the ceremonial bread. This was special bread that was only ever to be eaten by the priests. But the priest looks at David, sees him and his followers, recognizes that they are hungry, and he takes bread that was ordinarily not to be eaten by uh, others other than the priests, and he gives it to them. And the point of Jesus' little Bible lesson is that God's law has always allowed for and, and, and has to be reflective of a God of great mercy. God's laws were always to be interpreted with a heart of compassion for those in need. And, and often we find ourselves veering towards more of the Pharisees' Uh, approach to seeing life than we do uh, the, the uh, uh, approach uh, that Jesus gives us here. This is something that Jesus keeps coming back to throughout the Gospels. You see him dealing with this again and again because religion in his day, as it has in many periods of history, many places in the world, religion has become hard, has become critical, judgmental, and rigid, and it, it, it has gotten in the way of people relating to God. And maybe the same thing has happened to your faith. Maybe you find it easier to score people than to love people. 
Maybe you find it easy, easier to evaluate them by a list of your particular do's and don'ts than you do being able to really see them as a whole person or to respond to them in their, in their needs. Maybe that's an issue you have as a parent. It's so easy to see our kids through our list of do's and don'ts. And, and it's not even as if all of, the, uh, all of those do's and don'ts are rooted in scripture. Often our list, the things that we really care about and tend to elevate, they're based in things we've grown up with, based on our culture or family or something, uh, some experience that was uh, prominent in our lives. And Jesus reminds us, take your lists back to my word. Take your do's and don'ts and don't let them get in the way of the compassion that I have called you to reflect in your lives. And, and, and so we have this, this picture here. Jesus says in Luke 6.36, be merciful even as your father is merciful. It's a reminder to us that as we relate to other people, we are always to be looking back to how our father has related to us. Think about what a mess you were when uh, God redeemed you and drew, drew you to himself. Think about how patient he has been with your sins, how gracious he has been and quick to forgive. Uh, think about the hope that he gives and the help that he ministers, even though we continue to fail, uh, we continue to fall. And it is that that gives us our basis for uh, being able to minister mercy when we would otherwise gravitate towards our lists. So we're trying to avoid being a church of Sabbath-keeping drug dealers. And we said we do that, first of all, uh, by uh, uh, not letting our rules get, get in the way of mercy. Uh, next, let's consider how religion threatens compassion when your rules excuse your hypocrisy. Here, we're thinking back to our five-person drug crew in Brooklyn and their diligent Sabbath observance and their uh, sawed-off shotgun that they've got underneath the counter. And it's a reminder we have a tendency to hide behind our rules. Not only do we use them to look at people without compassion and without mercy, but we can hold up our rules as an excuse to hide areas of our life that we would rather God not deal with. And often we just focus on rules that we find easy to keep, and they keep us from dealing with the commands that we find much more difficult. So religion threatens compassion when your rules excuse your hypocrisy. We're going to move now to another Sabbath. It's another day. It's another week. Time has passed, and Jesus again finds himself in confrontation with some Pharisees on a Sabbath day. This time they're in a synagogue. In verse 6, Jesus is teaching and says, a man was there whose right hand was withered. So either his muscle tissue has deteriorated and broken down so that he's not able to operate it. Uh, maybe there, there's been nerve damage or an infection. But because it's his right hand, it affects his ability to work. It has economic ramifications for him. And Someone with that kind of injury, with that kind of, uh, has been affected in that way, 
as he goes into a synagogue, we're anticipating he's going to be received with compassion. People are going to offer him extra support, extra care, extra mercy. Recognizing all that this has brought into his life and the difficulties and the challenges of that, you, you expect him to be met with eyes of compassion. People will look out for him. And as you look at the passage, you realize, oh, people are looking out for him. But the only reason that the leaders have their eyes on him is because maybe he will be the means by which they will catch Jesus doing something that is uh, a violation of their list. So verse 7 says, The scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Can you imagine getting so fixated on a, a, a rule that, that uh, again, not, not, not based in scripture, but a, a rule that you wanted to uh, make sure everybody keeps, that you couldn't see a person in front of you in great need? Someone who was hurting, who was suffering, and, and not being able to see that because they, uh, you were on the hunt to try to find someone who was maybe doing something wrong, something that you could catch them in? Ever get so annoyed that someone wasn't keeping your rules that you never stopped to ask why? What, what might have been going on in their life? Ever get so obsessed with your rules that you never stopped to ask whether those rules were, were actually right or not? That they were, they were God-approved rules? That they were uh, actually things that, that God uh, supported you in and agreed with you in? Those are the kinds of questions that, uh, that we need to ask ourselves. Jesus asks those questions. He knows what the relig religious leaders are thinking, and he confronts them directly. In verse 9, he addresses the authorities with the question, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Now, that shouldn't have been a particularly hard question. This is a day that is holy to the Lord. This is a day where they are to enjoy uh, fellowship with their creator, where they are supposed to reflect on his goodness, look forward to his hope. The question, is this a day to do good or to do evil? Uh, to, uh, that, that, that kind of question shouldn't have been a challenge to anyone. And yet it seemed to have uh, stopped them and cause them to, to act. The irony, of course, is that Jesus is about to do some good. He's about to heal a man. And at the very moment that he's doing that, they are criticizing and judging. And by the end of the day, Jesus will have fully healed this man, and they will have plotted another man's death. And it just speaks to people, religious people, who can be absolutely convinced that they're right, focused on their rules, and completely miss what God is doing and what God desires. So the easy question uh, is asked. Luke doesn't record any answer. They apparently are at a loss for words. In Mark's gospel, it just says they were silent. A simple question, is it right to do good or to do evil, goes unanswered, and uh, they are left spe speechless. 
And it's a reminder to us that often we, we don't stop to question whether our rules have in fact made good evil or evil good. We're, we're, we're stopped in our tracks and asked to consider, reflect on what it is you become so obsessed over. Reflect on your lists. Reflect on what it is that, that you often use to judge people and evaluate people by. Now, with the religious scholars still thinking about how to answer Jesus and justify their sin, Jesus tells the man, stretch out your hand, and as he does, he is healed. Jesus, interestingly, doesn't, there, there isn't any indication he does actually anything. Uh, this is a, a, a motionless act. It is uh, him healing him directly, but almost as if to show, look, if there was ever a non-work accomplished by someone, like, I'm not going to do any of this. There's no like that. It's just he, he asked the man, stretch out your hand, and guess what? His hand has been healed. You would think uh, someone, seeing someone who has suffered like that, the economic impact of that, now he'll be able to work again. He'll be able to provide for his family again. He will be physically well and unhindered. You would think there would be great excitement. But beyond the physical, there has to be spiritual implications as well, right? You would think the synagogue would recognize, look, what, what we're seeing here is God visiting his people with great power. This is God finally bringing in the promised deliverance. And you would think that we are about to see a group of people erupt in spontaneous applause, drawn to worship, giving up uh, their, their, their hands in, in thanksgiving, in spontaneous prayer. Instead, we read in verse 11, they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Mark's gospel is more specific. There it says, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. That's so ironic because, you know, Herodians, you see the word Herod in there. The, the Pharisees and the Herodians were enemies. They were like, you know, uh, they were opposites on the political spectrum. Uh, they didn't have anything to do with each other. They didn't appreciate one another. They had typically nothing to do with one another. But the Pharisees decided if they can help us deal with Jesus, if they can help us silence him, if we can use some of their political power, we could be friends with them. And just as a picture of how consumed people can become with their lists, that they will do anything to uh, uh, deal with them and, and, and bring down someone who threatens their list. And again, we need to examine our, our, our lives for similar tendencies. Uh, Robert Roberts uh, talked about the comfort and danger of this in what he calls uh, do's and don'tsism. He said, there's something comfortable about reducing Christianity to a list of do's and don'ts. Whether your list comes from mindless fundamentalism or mindless liberalism, you always know where you stand, and this helps you reduce anxiety. But do's and don'tsism has the advantage that you don't need wisdom. 
You don't need to think or make hard choices. You don't have to relate personally to a demanding and loving God. And so we're asking ourselves the question, have I exchanged my faith, biblical faith, genuine faith, for do's and don'tsism? Somewhere along the line, have I exchanged a personal relationship with the Lord for a list of maybe, maybe good things, maybe Christian things, but it's not a living relationship with a God to whom you have sworn your loyalty, your love, and your faith. Somewhere along the line, did you come to exchange God's commands for your list? And is that list getting in the way of you dealing with the areas in your life that he would otherwise point to? Because that list can be used as a cover-up. It can be used to keep us from dealing with what God would otherwise have us deal with. Again, this is the anatomy of a Sabbath-keeping drug dealer. So we've said religion threatens compromise when your rules don't allow for mercy, when your rules excuse hypocrisy. But if we were to end the message here, and maybe you were thinking, I think we just came to verse 11, we must be done. If we were to end the message here, there's a danger that many people would misunderstand uh, the takeaway from this message. And so uh, for our final point, we're saying religion threatens compassion when your rules aren't set by Jesus. Here, uh, the solution isn't just to try to be compassionate and don't worry about the rules. Or try to be merciful and compassionate and make up your own rules. We, when, we, when we do that, we find ourselves straying from Jesus, the true uh, revelation that God has given us in his word, and we have a do-it-yourself religion that is uh, ultimately guided by uh, our, own, uh, our own sinful tendencies and, and instincts. So religion threatens compassion when your rules aren't set by Jesus. Now, we're not, we're not departing from this passage, but Jewish writing had different ways of getting a point across. Uh, sometimes you would have uh, a story, often J- Jesus' parables w- would work like this. You would come and it, there would be a twist in the story, and it was at that twist that the punchline came. Other times, uh, the, 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 the punchline didn't come right at the end, Often, particularly in poetry, but sometimes in narrative, you would have a story coming along, and it was right in the center that that punchline was delivered. In today's passage, the one I just read for you, we have two passages that are very similar. They happened on different days. They were happened in different weeks. They both involve a Sabbath. They involve Jesus' confrontation with his disciples, uh, and they they have been... uh, on the receiving end of some judgment from the Pharisees. Now, at the end of the second of those stories, we have uh, this statement how they were filled with fury of what they were going to do to Jesus, and it is setting us up for the expectation, this is one of the reasons why uh, Jesus finds himself on the road to the cross. This is why they eventually called for his, uh, his crucifixion. But that isn't the main point or the only point of uh, this couplet of uh, of stories about Jesus in the Sabbath. 
Here, in the very middle of these two passages, as it often does, comes the punchline. And that punchline comes in verse 5, where, it's, where Jesus gives his point, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now that phrase is like a religious earthquake. For hundreds of years, the Sabbath was one of the great and most important institutions in Judaism. It was instituted at Mount Sinai, where God gives gives the, the Israelites the Sabbath and literally engraves it in stone. So it, it has, has that sense of weight and power baked right into the Ten Commandments. It's modeled by God himself in the seven days of creation. It, it is his picture of, uh, of his rest. And by Jesus' day, it had come to define what it meant to be a faithful Jew, the Pharisees, as we said, had their elaborate rules that they had uh, developed to fill in all of the blanks of Old Testament scripture of what could and couldn't be done. But this was a huge and important institution. For Jesus to say he is the Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying he is the one who interprets how the Sabbath uh, is to be kept, what the Sabbath means, how it is to be defined, not the Pharisees. He is the one who stands as Lord of the Sabbath in the sense that he he will determine its significance. He will uh, determine whether it is to be, be, how it is to be defined and whether it is to be transcended. And if that is true of the Sabbath, it is true of all Old Testament law. He is the one who stands as the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of all of our lists. And it is that great picture of uh, who, who Jesus is and what he came to do. Now, some of you may have thought at the point, if we hadn't have gotten this Lord of the Sabbath statement, you may have been led to the conclusion that the point was, as long as we're merciful, we don't need to worry about any rules. As long as we are compassionate, we don't need to think very much about you know, what God said all those thousands of years ago, surely it doesn't matter. But the Bible never said, as long as you love each other, it doesn't matter that you're committing adultery because God is merciful. The Bible never said, if you've fallen on hard luck, stealing is okay because God is merciful. The Bible never said that just do whatever, you feel, whatever feels compassionate because God is merciful. He didn't do any of those things. Instead, Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I define the rules and the boundaries between uh, compassion and religion. I am the one who sets the, uh, not only the, the example, but the, uh, the, the standard for how to be faithful to God and merciful to people. And those boundaries that God has defined in Jesus Christ are, as they are in today's passage, defined in the word of God, given to us in the scriptures for us to follow. Jesus is the one who taught, if you love me, you will just be merciful and make it up. No, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And again, it is that picture that we're trading our rules for Jesus' commands. 
our world wants to say, you have to pick one or the other. Either be compassionate or have conviction. Can't do both. Jesus says, in me you, have, you can have both. I am the one who defines mercy. I am the one who defines compassion. And I am the one who does so in the way that is still true and faithful to a holy God. So unless you want to be a Sabbath-keeping drug, te- drug dealer, ask God to set your rules. Ask him to define in Jesus Christ and the word that he's given us uh, what it is uh, that, that we are to cling to. We take that list of do's and don'ts that all of us have, we all have got one, and we submit that list of do's and don'ts to Jesus Christ. Declare Jesus Lord of the list. Give him authority over your do's and don'ts. And watch him help you walk with conviction and compassion. And as you do that, you'll experience the Lord of the Sabbath in another way as well. Because Jesus is the rest that the Sabbath always pointed to. When God rested on the seventh day of creation, he was showing us that life is about more than just work, but it it is also about rest. He was showing that life is more than just accomplishment. It is also about relationship. When uh, the the Israelites were first given the, the, the Sabbath commandment, they were former slaves that had only no work as slavery. They had been treated as robots. And so the Sabbath was an act of deliverance. It was freeing them from constant and unceasing, monotonous, slaving work. He was releasing them from that to a life of hope, of joy, of rest, and again, of relationship. When Jesus comes and he declares himself Lord of the Sabbath, He's saying, I am the one that is the means by which you can have relationship with God again. I am the one who frees you from a life of monotony, a life of slavery, a life where you are treated like a machine, and it is in me that you can enjoy true and lasting rest. And just as that Old Testament uh, pattern of six days of work and on the seventh day of rest just as the the days of the week marched on towards rest, history has been marching on towards an eternal rest. And Jesus fulfills that as well. He is the the means, the the one who opened the door to an eternal rest with God, uh, to, to, to give us the hope of that rest that is to come. He's the one who said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's look to him now in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, You know us, you see us, you know our thoughts, you know how easy it is for us to criticize, to judge, you know how easy it is for us to turn to our lists, to our do's and to our don'ts. 
And we pray, Father, that you would deliver us from that. Help us to exchange our lists for your commands. Help us to see people, really see them. Give us the eyes of compassion that marked Jesus' life and ministry. And as we see people with your compassion, help us to look to Jesus as the one who is Lord over our lists, but also Lord over our rest. Help us to look to him as the source of our rest, our freedom of relationship that we enjoy with you, the eternal rest that you are calling us to, and help us to lead others there too, not to get in the way, not to be an obstacle for, uh, for others who would be seeking that rest. For we ask you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.